KCWTN Global Catholic Radio presents The Priesthood of Jesus Christ. Father Frederick Miller discusses the priesthood through the ages from the Old Testament times to the modern day. Here is Father Miller. Hello, my name is Father Frederick Miller and we're continuing the series entitled On the Priesthood of Jesus Christ. And this particular segment will be on the priesthood of the apostles. First of all, I want to note that from a larger group of disciples, Jesus Christ chose the twelve. Interestingly, the word disciple, as used by the New Testament authors, means simply a follower or a student. Rabbis had disciples. And anyone who followed Jesus, anyone who was willing to be taught by him, was one of his disciples. I think we could say that the New Testament would define disciple in this way, in its final form, in any case. A disciple is someone who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he comes forth from the Father into the world to lead people to the Father. Not that he's simply a rabbi, a religious leader, a teacher, but he is the Son of God. That's the first qualification to be a disciple, and then the disciple seeks not only to hear the word of Jesus Christ and to put it into practice. So there were many disciples, men and women, who followed Jesus and sought to live according to his word. But at the heart of that larger group of disciples, one finds a group of 12 men. Jesus chose them after prayer, and he did this with sovereign freedom. St. John tells us that Jesus spoke these words to the apostles. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Usually, students would choose the rabbi under whom they would study the Torah, the Word of God. But Jesus turns it around. I chose you. You didn't choose me. The number 12 is very significant. It corresponds to the 12 tribes of the people of Israel and makes clear Christ's intention of establishing the foundations of a new Israel, a new people of God. Jesus establishes the twelve in order to establish the church. This is a way, his way of declaring that the role he assigns to the twelve in the establishment of the church is an essential one. Father Jean Gallot, in his work, The Theology of the Priesthood, states, Mark, St. Mark, takes pains to emphasize that there is something of a creation in the initiative of Jesus. He says, he made 12 of them in Mark 3.14, and in Mark 3.16, he made the 12. The event that happens here is not then only the choice of 12 men, one by one. It is the constitution of a group a group that bespeaks a new creation. The verb to make suggests by association the verb that appears in the book of Genesis describing the first creation, and again in Isaiah 43.1 and 44.2 with reference to the establishment of God's people. So in the beginning of time, God creates the world out of nothing. Then through God's mercy, he calls and he creates Israel, so to speak, out of nothing. And now Jesus Christ sovereignly creates the twelve 
and he creates, so to speak, his church out of nothing. This association is even more significant in view of the fact that the verb occurs twice in Mark and that the idiom is unusual. It's very unusual to say he created the twelve, he made the twelve. The twelve are created by Christ to be with him and then to be sent out. There is this double process. Jesus calls the apostles, he chooses them, they form the inner circle of disciples, he reveals to them the mystery of the kingdom, he teaches them in a particularly intense way about himself and his way of life. He reveals the Father to them. And then he does this so that he might later, after the coming of the Spirit, send them out to be the heralds of the kingdom of God. He sends them out to preach the word, to announce the kingdom, to cast out demons, to heal the sick. The Gospel tells us that when Jesus sent them out to preach the word, he also gave them his authority and power. According to Father Gallo, this shows that the apostles' mission to evangelize goes hand in hand with a supernatural power that can be given only by the Lord himself. To understand the mission of the Twelve, we have to search through the Gospels. Because it's very clear in the Gospels that Jesus calls these men, he draws them to himself in a very special and intimate way, preparing them to go forth and announce his death and resurrection after his ascension into heaven. First of all, it's clear in the Gospels that the apostles are chosen and sent to evangelize and to baptize. We read in Matthew 28:18 to 20 for instance, and Jesus came and said to them, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always." unto the end of the ages. Go out, preach the word, announce my death and resurrection. I'll be with you. I'll give you power. I'll give people who hear you the power to believe and to convert. Baptize them. Bring them into my life and teach them everything that I've taught you. You see, it's, it's essential for the apostles and then for the priest of the church, who, the bishops and the priests who succeed the apostles, it's essential that they be formed by Christ, that they have the mind of Jesus Christ, and that they be able to teach the fullness of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Because preaching that doctrine in evangelization and catechesis and liturgical preaching, preaching that doctrine of Christ causes hearts to turn to the Lord in faith and in conversion, and then they come to baptism, they come to new life in Jesus Christ. So it's very clear. <clears throat> Christ gives the mandate to the apostles to go out, to preach the gospel, and to baptize all the nations. He gives them jurisdiction over the whole earth. He tells them that they have the right 
to bring his gospel to every people on the face of the earth. The whole world is their pulpit. It's also clear in the New Testament that the twelve are to govern the church in the name of Christ with his power and authority and in a special way they are to celebrate the Eucharist. However, it's also very clear in the New Testament that the authority that Jesus gives the twelve is a new authority. It's not a worldly authority. It's not based on power and domination. It is the authority and the power to serve. And that's why when Jesus confers the priesthood on the apostles, before he does that, he washes their feet and makes that the model of their authority and power in the church. We read in Luke 22:19 to 30 these words describing the last supper which is really when the apostles were consecrated by Jesus priests of the new covenant. And he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after supper, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it was that would do so. A dispute also arose among them, which of them was to be regarded as the greatest? And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves the rest. For which is the greater, one who sits at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who sits at table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes. Of Israel. It's very beautiful, isn't it, that in this Gospel of Luke, as our Lord institutes the Eucharist and consecrates the apostles, his priests, he gives them this lesson about humble service. St. John in his Gospel doesn't relate the institution of the Eucharist. We have the chapter, beautiful chapter 6, where Jesus promises the Eucharist to his disciples. But John doesn't relate the institution of the Eucharist. But he does tell us at the Last Supper, Jesus washed his disciples' feet and told them that if they want to have a share in him, if they want him to be their inheritance, they must likewise wash the feet of one another. The New Testament tells us that the apostles, the twelve, and those who succeed them are to remit sins in his name. We read in John 20, 21, 22 of the institution of the sacrament of reconciliation, penance. 
the risen Lord appears to the apostles and he says to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. It's very beautiful detail that St. John gives us in this passage. He says that the risen Lord breathed on them, saying, Receive the Holy Spirit. This again is a reference to the creation. We read in Genesis that the Spirit of God hovered over the chaos, bringing order out of the chaos in the creation. In the book of Ezekiel, the Spirit breathes and the dead bones come back to life, signifying Israel's coming back to her own land. And now the Lord breathes on the apostles and he gives them the power to awaken the new creation, to bring into existence the new creation. They are to be his collaborators in applying his saving death to souls. Through their ministry, sin will be forgiven, the obstacle will be removed that stands between God and every sinful human being. Father Gallot notes in his work, The Theology of the Priesthood, from all these indications in the Gospel, we conclude that Jesus meant to impart to the Twelve the total extent of his own pastoral power. He gave them the power to rule the church, the authority to carry out his mission of evangelization, the power to administer baptism, the power to celebrate the Eucharist and forgive all sin. In today's language, Jesus transmitted to the Twelve his own priesthood, which includes leadership, the proclamation of the word, and the performance of liturgical and sacramental actions. There is clear evidence in the New Testament that the Twelve exercised the authority of Jesus Christ, that they exercised their priesthood or their share in Jesus' priesthood in their service of the church. Just a few examples. It is they who solved the problems that exist between the Hellenist and the Jewish Christians by selecting and ordaining the seven. Look at Acts 6, 1 to 6. This indicates not only authority in leadership, but also an authority in worship. They actually extended their ministry to seven other men through the laying on of hands. It's clear in the New Testament that the Twelve share their apostolic authority and power with other men through the laying on of hands. You might look at Acts 6, 1 to 6, Acts 13, 1 to 5, 1 Timothy 4, 13 to 14, 1 Timothy 5, 21, 22, and Titus 1, 4 to 9. They're all references of the apostles, St. Paul, 
laying hands on other men, laying their hands on their head, and transmitting to them the authority and power of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. It's clear in the New Testament that the apostles exercise a governing authority. Those who give their possessions to the church bring them to the apostles. We read about that in Acts 4, 35, 37. Paul is presented to the apostles after his conversion for their approval. The apostles preside at the Council of Jerusalem, as recorded in Acts 15. The twelve likewise have a powerful teaching authority in the church. Within the mystery of Pentecost, they proclaim to the people of Israel the death and the resurrection and the lordship of Jesus Christ. We read in the Acts of the Apostles that they got themselves in lots of trouble with the Jewish authorities by proclaiming the resurrection and the lordship of Jesus. They were scourged on a number of occasions and they always rejoiced that they were found worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. They give all of us priests an example. We have to proclaim the word of God when convenient and inconvenient, when welcome, when it's welcomed and unwelcomed, and be willing to suffer for the proclamation of the word, and in fact rejoice when we're found worthy to suffer for the word of Jesus Christ. Like Jesus is preaching, their own will be accompanied by signs and wonders. They see their function in terms of the ministry of the word and prayer. The twelve especially are called to preach the word, to bear witness to the resurrection. That is their absolutely unique function. There are other apostles besides the twelve noted in the New Testament. They share in the apostles' authority and power. They govern as the apostles do. But the apostles, because they saw the risen Lord, because they put their hands in the nail marks, their hands in his side, they have the unique role of being the witnesses to the resurrection. Among the twelve, very obviously, Peter had paramount authority. He is the first to preach the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and he does so on Pentecost. He speaks in the name of the twelve. It is Peter who makes the decision to admit the Gentiles to baptism. At the Council of Jerusalem, it is Peter who wins the acceptance for the position that the church should open the doors to the Gentiles. Peter works the first miracle. Peter is always the first because Jesus has conferred upon him the primacy and among all the priests of the church, Jesus makes Peter the chief shepherd. Feed my lambs, Peter feed my sheep. The twelve clearly exercise their God-given authority in the first Christian community in Jerusalem. However, their authority is not limited to a territorial area. They have charge of the church universal. They are itinerant. In Jerusalem, James, the brother of the Lord, seems to be the chief local authority in the church and he himself does not belong to the group of the twelve. So the twelve begin immediately to appoint other men to share in their apostolic service. 
through the laying on of hands. The twelve received directly from the Lord, we believe, the fullness of the ministerial priesthood in the church. They possessed all the authority and the power of the episcopacy, the presbyterate, and the diaconate. However, they do not rule the church in a particular locality alone. They have the responsibility for the whole church and for the establishment of local authorities. Their role in the church is unique. It is they possessing the fullness of the priesthood who establish a form of leadership in the church that will embody the fullness of Christ's priesthood until the end of time. Those who are ordained subsequently bishops, presbyters, and deacons in the Christian community succeed them, sharing at various levels in their authority and power. The term apostle was soon expanded in the Hebrew Christian community to include others besides the twelve. For instance, as I mentioned, James, the brother of the Lord, who is mentioned by Paul in Galatians 1.19. Later, in the same letter, Paul lists James with Kephas, Peter, and John. Galatians 2.9. The use of the term was also expanded among the Hellenist Christians, those from the Jewish community, uh, from the uh, Greek community, I'm sorry. Barnabas and Saul are called apostles after having received the laying on of hands. Many theologians see the laying on of hands as true ordination, a consecration for the mission of apostle in the church. And so we may conclude by saying, as the church developed in those first decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the function of the apostle was not restricted to the twelve. It was attributed both to those who had received the mission to evangelize from the earthly Jesus and to those who contributed as itinerant missionaries to the expansion of the church. As the case of Barnabas and Paul shows, the imposition of hands imparted to these missionaries the consecration and the gift of the Spirit for the sake of the mission they were to carry out. So it's very beautifully unfolded in the New Testament that the apostles are called to Jesus. They enter into an intimate relationship with him. They're formed by him in their way of thinking, their way of acting. He gives them the understanding of the scriptures. The Gospels tell us that. That the Lord helped them to understand all of the scriptures, to understand how the Old Testament related to him in every way. And Jesus gave them his authority and power to celebrate the Holy Eucharist, to remit sin, to exercise leadership and power in preaching and governance in the church. And they, in turn, transmitted this power and authority to other apostolic men through the laying on of hands. And so today, our bishops succeeding the apostles and priests and deacons working in close collaboration with them bring us into immediate contact with the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. And there's an unbroken chain of succession from our bishops all the way 
to the apostles and through them to Jesus Christ. Please join us next time for the Priesthood of Jesus Christ with Father Frederick Miller on EWTN Global Catholic Radio.